Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about the college football playoffs, some college basketball, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 205. Hello, we are back after taking a week off to spend the holidays with friends and family. So let's just jump right into sports. Uh, I do have a fun fact for you all with a a quick quiz at the end. Oh, I like quizzes. Yeah, listen carefully. Oklahoma lost its silver medal in the CFB competition for the longest streak of winning seasons with its loss to Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl. OU ended the season 6-7, and seven, which snapped their 23-year winning season streak, uh, started back in 1999. Wisconsin now takes this record to be second in the longest streak of winning seasons in the CFB at 22 years, starting back in 2001. Can any of you name what the current longest winning streak is in the CFB and what team holds that record? I mean... You wouldn't be asking this question if the answer was Alabama, so I'm not going to guess Alabama. Alabama is currently third at 15, starting in 2000, 2008, technically, because 2007 they had a winning season, but they had their first five wins vacated um, due to some something. I don't know, the, it, like improper te- textbook distribution or something like that. Mm. So who's the Pittsburgh Steelers of college football? Right. I would not consider this team to be the Steelers-esque, but sure. Well, I just say that because the Pittsburgh Steelers only have 500 winning or like 500 seasons or better Yeah. under Mike Tomlin's tenure. Would it be like, has Notre Dame been bad recently? They always seem like they do all right. They had a bad year. Yeah, they had a couple bad years right before they got Brian Kelly. They were horrible. Ohio State? Michigan? No, Michigan the thing had of bad, people who are decent. That's what Michigan I thought, had a bad year. Everyone is calling for Jim Harbaugh's. Yeah, oh, yeah I forgot about how bad that was. So did Penn State. Um, we'll start with a number. Do you have the number of, of current winning streak seasons? 31. 18. Oh. Kyle, it's got to be more than 20. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that number. I only, I only was... I only heard the Alabama 15, so I was like, it's got to be more than that. Ariana's the closest. It is a streak started back in 1998, uh, so currently 25 seasons. Should have just guessed, guessed how old I was. Yeah. Uh, uh, Aren't you 26 now? Yeah, but 26 would have gotten me close. <laughs> um, would it be Kansas State? You're saying K-State? No, it's not K-State. Absolutely not. Well, what's your guess then, Kyle? Uh, I honestly don't. I don't have a guess. No guess? Anything from you, Ariane? Um, I'm going to say... I don't know. I'm going to just stick with Ohio State. I don't know. All right. It is not Ohio State. It is the Boise State Broncos. Boise State. Boise State. I would not have guessed that. And I didn't do any research, but they probably have like the the largest um, winning seasons to non-winning seasons in the, the CFB as well, just because they started in 1996 in Division One, so uh-huh. 95. Uh, I did not fact check that, but in my mind, that seems legit. Um, so yeah, congratulations, Ariane. I'll give you the win because you're closest on the number of seasons. But I picked a state. As did I. You did, but uh, yeah, nah. No, numbers numbers don't lie. Kansas is closer to Boise than Ohio. That's true. That's all I got. The one thing I left <laughs> up from the intro as well was uh, happy belated birthday to Kyle. Our host Kyle's birthday was recently during our yeah. hiatus. So Woo. Uh, yeah. Yay, Woo. Kyle. Good job. One day this ago is, when we record this episode. This is your celebration episode. Yay. But uh, before we dive into um, the Cyclone basketball news, I just want to say, did anybody – uh, anybody watching any of that college football playoff? Uh, I just want to give a shout out to TCU becoming the first ever Big 12 team to win a college football playoff game. Who had that written down when the college football playoff started? TCU would get the first ever win for the conference? Yeah, certainly almost not one. They started the season unranked, came into it. Pretty much every game people thought they were going to lose. Uh, they're doing it. For the record, I picked TCU. You did? You were the only one out yeah. of us that said they were going to win. I was happy to see him do it, though. Uh, I thought Michigan would overwhelm him, you know, just 
finally the the raw talent on the field would be better from Michigan over TCU, but clearly turning that turning the ball over three times don't help. Yeah, Granted, definitely. TCU also turned the ball over three times, though. When so. are players going to learn not to just like run their mouth? What did they say? It was going to be Smash City or something. I'm like, that doesn't look very good now. When you got your, you know, your run game wasn't that great. They're talking about how if you play the three three four, you're going to just get destroyed, and the Big Twelve can't hang with the Big Ten. Uh, it doesn't doesn't really look like that now. It was definitely somewhat of a surprising result. Those refs were not good either in that first game. They call a lot of questionable stuff, I feel like. Yeah, so let's talk about the the, the, the two big ones, in my opinion, were the, the touchdown that was overruled, the first one for Michigan. Mm-hmm. Did anybody have any thoughts on that? Certainly looked like a touchdown to me. I didn't see anything on video to overturn that call, but my guess is what they did is that there were two angles that each showed a part of the play really well. And I, my guess is a we, an angle we never showed stitched those two together, and that gave them the definitive that they need, right? There was one angle that showed where the ball was really well but didn't show when he was controlling it. And there was another angle that showed when he was controlling it. And if you stitch those two together, it could have been obvious um, that he was short of the, lot, of the goal line. But again, I didn't see it, but that's got to be my guess. So the, it begs the question, Mitchell Swartz, who is a longtime – NFL offensive lineman played for the Cleveland Brown Kansas City Chiefs. He went on Twitter and posed the question, why in college are we still calling a player down if he is untouched and touches the ground? That, that's a good question. Why are we not like, what is the definitive reason that a player at the college football level level has to be down when he hits the ground and not being touched by a defender? Yeah, I mean, why did they make that a rule in the first place? I mean, my guess is it has player safety origins, but I don't know. If it's player safety origins, then why does the NFL not have it, right? Like, what? what is bigger, the difference? I don't know. Bigger? I mean, look at look at Georgia's defensive lineman. I Tell mean, me that he's not any bigger than some defensive lineman in the NFL. But this rule is decades old, remember? I know, yeah. but we need to look at those rules and update them. I don't. This is the same thing where, like, I question why don't we do jump balls for tie-ups in college? Like, what what is the possession era? Why is it a thing? Can we stop doing it as well? Just go to a jump ball. I agree with the jump ball, but I don't agree with a rule change in college. I kind of like the rule where if you're down, you're down. If you're down, you're down. Doesn't matter who touched you or who didn't touch you. I don't know. It's weird that it's a change in it. And then you always see the games in the senior bowl at the end of the year where they have to like remember to get up and run again. We saw somebody trip in the college football playoffs this weekend and he just tripped over nothing and fell down in the, in the NFL. He could have got up and ran some more, but too bad, buddy. The Buffalo Wild Wings commercial finally yes. happened in real life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he tripped over the 10 yard line. Turf monster got him. I don't know. So that's an interesting thing to like ponder as to why why college football like why couldn't they change that rule? They could. I mean, they can do whatever they want, but as evidenced by the twelve team playoff that we'll be seeing soon. That's true. This is the second to last year of the fourteen playoff. I will miss it. The the other thought I have about well, let, let's get to the controversial call and then um, we'll we'll talk about my big takeaway. Um, the no call targeting on the last play of the game. Yes. By the letter of the law, that's targeting. Correct. That's also the spirit of the targeting rule. Yep. It is. He launched himself and made contact with the head of a player. That's targeting. With his head. Yep. Yeah. But then people need to relax about the call that they actually got right in the Ohio State-Georgia game against Marvin Harrison Jr. Everyone is still... Everyone is... a, A lot of people on Twitter including Barstool Sports, coming up with media just to blast out, uh, are stitching those two plays together, saying that the refs don't care about targeting, that they got them wrong. Sure, they got the Michigan one wrong, Michigan-TCU game, but they did not get the Ohio State-Georgia one wrong. That was leading with the shoulder. Right, shoulder-to-shoulder, yeah. Shoulder-to-shoulder contact. And what's crazy is when we were watching the game, we're all texting and we're like, yeah, that's not targeting. And I figured that was just the general sentiment. Then after the game, you get online and everybody is just like, that's targeting. How did they miss that? This and that. The refs are terrible. I was like, oh, I felt like 
that just wasn't targeting. It didn't hit him with the helmet. It's weird. But I, I feel like the targeting call in the first game, if that was not the last play of the game and he would have to sit out the next half, they would have called it. But I feel like they didn't call it just so he didn't have to sit out the next game. He's also like their third string safety who was just yeah. in there because they wanted all like 12 defensive backs on the field on that play. So the the out next game wouldn't have been that big of a factor, but it extends a game that was otherwise over, right? Like that was a fourth down play. If they call targeting, the game's not over. Otherwise it is. It was a huge call. But I mean, we've talked about this before on the episode. The When the play happens should not affect the, the call or no call. The rules are the rules. There's nothing in the rules that says targeting is not a penalty on big plays with less than a minute left in the game. Yeah. So there, there were definitely some controversial calls that did not go um, Michigan's way in that game. But in the end, they didn't do enough to win. Don't throw two pick sixes and you, you have a better chance to win that game. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to say is if TCU can go to the national championship game, why not Iowa State? Right? Like there's nothing. Obviously, we're not as talented as TCU is right now. But why not Iowa State? Right? To me, this gives hope to all of the non-Blue Blood schools that they have a chance to go to the playoff and do something. Yeah, I could agree with that. Well, especially in in an expanded playoff. Because look at it. Look at But look at what happened to K-State, though. At some point, talent, just pure talent, wins out. Now, I think K-State getting down early in that game, they had a crucial uh, fourth and goal missed opportunity with the quarterback, had a horrible throw out into the flat. Could have been a touchdown with a better pass, but that could have potentially altered the, the course of that game entirely. But Alabama proved that they were far and above the better team over that K-State team. Mind you, Big 12 champions, right? Hear me out, though. I think that the 12-team playoff actually makes it harder for a non-Blue Blood to win the national championship. Because I think now, right, now a team like TCU, since they weren't the conference champion, they wouldn't have gotten one of the top four teams. They got to win three games, right? That TCU team likely would have had to beat USC, or sorry, yeah, like USC, Alabama, and Georgia to go win the national championship. A much harder path, or yeah, much harder path than what they actually had. TCU is a great football team, but I don't know if they can win all those three. I think the 12-team playoff makes it harder for non-Blue Buds to win the national championship. Sure, more of them will make the playoffs, but... I think it makes it harder for them to actually win. Yeah, I, I believe that's probably true. I don't love the thought of just people playing that many games in a season in general, personally. I mean, it's still going to be less than they play in the NFL. so Barely. Well, that's the NFL regular season, too, yeah. not, not yeah, including the, the playoffs. Though. Right. The, the, the championship, the teams who play in the championship, presuming they also played in their conference championship game, which is not necessarily true, but presuming they did, would still only play 16 games, which is still one less than an NFL regular season. Used to be. Used to be a regular season. Yeah, so it's been the weird, weird to get to think that it was week 17 yeah. last week in the NFL and the season's not over. The numbers just look so weird to me still. Yeah, I agree. But Well, then what happens to that fifth conference champion? They're just a top five team and they have to play in the first round. Yep. Well, I guess, have they said how they're going to do the seeding? I haven't seen it officially. I think it's the top four, top four record conference champions are the top four overall seeds. So like K-State this year being a conference champion. They, they would have been the four because, well, because they ranked higher than US or uh, than Utah, right? So they would have been number four. Possibly. Possibly. I don't know if they have the same record, what they would go down to. But, oh, but it's by record, not ranking. I think it's by record. Uh, they had the same record as well prior to K-State's loss to Alabama. So, oh no, sorry. Um, let me look at this. Hold on. Utah already played the, no, they haven't played the bowl game. Yeah, they had the same record prior to K-State's loss. So, I don't know. Anyway, we'll figure all that out in the future. But just, just some food for thought about the college football playoff. Uh, it'll be TCU Georgia in a couple weeks, um, a week actually from today, 
for the national championship in SoFi Stadium in LA. Yes. Potential for another lightning delay. That'll probably be the most people that have been in SoFi Stadium this whole year. So excited. Did, did anybody watch that Chargers Rams game? Was anybody there? I doubt it. I wouldn't watch that on TV, much less go to the stadium to do it. They were apparently having to go to silent counts, though, at huh. that game, both teams. Just because it was like more than 50% full and they weren't used to that, or? Probably. Probably just because it was more than 50% full and they were playing music the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Just piping in crowd noise. Yeah. Anyway, after that uh, long tangent about the playoff, we'll finally get into what we actually wanted to talk about first on this episode, which is the Cyclone basketball teams. They are finally back after a long stretch off due to weather and finals week and uh, Christmas break. Um, Both teams got back on the court for the start of conference play. Um, On the men's side, before the game started a couple days before, we got some bad news that Jazz Kuntz um, broke his hand. Um, He's out at least a month. They said during the broadcast of the Baylor game that he's targeting the Kansas game for his return. Um, the February Kansas game for his return. Um, so we'll see if that actually happens or not. But he's he's hoping February 4th again, uh, uh, at home against Kansas is when he will be back. We'll see. Hopefully we could use him back. His, his defense is, is very important. But we did not need him on Saturday against Baylor. The, the men crushed Baylor 77 to 62 um, at home. Um, and to me, there were two stretches of this game that stood out. Um, this team went on a big run, um, a 23-5 to five run on a seven-minute stretch with from when there were five minutes left in the first half um, through the first two minutes of the second half. And then Baylor only made two field goals in the last 11 minutes, just under 11 minutes of the game. That's the defense we need to see. That's the defense we need to see from this team. That's how they're going to win games in conference is they've, they've got to They've got to do that. Yeah, when you hold your def- when you hold your opponent to thirty seven percent shooting and twenty two percent from three, you're going to win most of those games, and you're going to win all those games when you shoot fifty percent from the field and forty three percent from three. I mean, I think this is the first time since they've both been on the team that we've seen Caleb Grill and Gabe Kalsher both be on their games at the same time. I don't think I've ever seen them both make shots at a good rate in the same game. So that was very nice to see. It was fun to see what this team would look like if it had a functional offense and a good defense. And I would love to see that some more. I mean, that was my big thought too, that Grill and Kalsha were both having good games. Like Kalsha got off to the hot start and then Grill, the first couple times Grill shot a three, I just winced because I'm like, well, they both can't be on. (laughs) That's impossible. Uh, But they were both on um, in that game, which was, which was quite good to see. Quite good to see. Other takeaways for that game, um, I don't think Trey King had the impact on that game that we thought he was going to have. He only he played 19 minutes, um, but he only uh, took one shot. He did make it and did have five rebounds, which I think is going to be huge without uh, Koontz. King and, um, King and Holmes are going to have to rebound well without, um, without Koontz um, in the rotation. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Grill was doing work on the boards in that game. I felt like he came from behind the three-point line all the way to get a rebound like four or five times in that game. But, but the, again, that's the way our rebounding system is designed, yeah. right? The bigs just block out. Robert Jones is not asked to get rebounds. He is asked to make sure whoever he is guarding does not get it. Which is weird because we allow quite a few offensive rebounds still. That, that's true. We are, what is that? Um, not good. We are 360th in the nation in uh, offensive rebounding. Out of what, 370-something? Yeah, something like that. Oh, no, sorry, I was looking at Penn State. We're 287th. That's a little better. Yeah, 287th, sorry. Still not, still not great. But we are good at uh, rebound. We are 64th in the nation in, in getting offensive rebounds ourselves. So that's, that's something to yeah. keep an eye on. So In the end, our overall rebounding is not terrible because they average out. I do think the uh, the announcers got a little ahead of themselves, a little over their skis about uh, Lipsy. God, they couldn't keep Monte Morris's name out of his mouth for more than five minutes talking about how he's going to be Monte Morris. I'm like, let's give him at least half a season, a season before we decide he's the next in the line of great point guards. He looked good. He did have eight assists and three steals, but he did turn the ball over four times and got in foul trouble again. We had a lot of foul trouble in the first half and 
he still made some freshman plays, especially with some fouls that he committed that just, they were just bad fouls. But I mean, it is Baylor. It's a tough team, but yeah, he's growing still. Let's not rush it. Let, let's see how he does in some of the hostile environments of the Big 12 before we call him Monte Morris. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's my thought. And, and he'll get those opportunities. I mean, he's going to start, as long as he's healthy, he's going to start the rest of the year. He'll get those opportunities and we will see. He might be, but it's way too early to say he is. Any other thoughts on the game, Kyle, Wyatt? Anything you want to add? No, that's, you pretty much covered all of it. Fair enough. Um, so the Cyclones did uh, check in at number 25 in the AP poll this week. Um, so back ranked, just barely edging out LSU for that number 25 spot. Um, and uh, this upcoming week, Lipsy will get um, some shots on the road in the Big 12. Now, not the most hostile of environment, um, but some um, decent games. They play at Oklahoma, 6 p.m. on Wednesday. That game will be on ESPNU. And then they'll play at TCU. Um, is that going to be Saturday? Yes, yeah, Saturday um, at 1 p.m. on ESPNU. I will chip in here and say you said, like, not bad games. Um, so for per ESPN BPI, the 10 toughest remaining schedules in, the, in all of college basketball currently belong to every single team in the Big 12. Those are your top 10, top 10 toughest remaining schedules of the season. Iowa State checks in at number three with the, with the third hardest strength of schedule remaining. Um, and those games, like these road games, while they're going to be like, they're not a road game at Texas this year or at KU, they are still going to be very difficult road games. Yeah, I mean, T- I mean, TCU is number 17 in the nation, so it's not like they're a pushover. Right. And for these teams, like ESPN BPI gives TCU, their projected win loss on the season is 20 and 11. So they're going to be a really good team, tough team to beat on the road. This is going to be a really big test for the Cyclones, these two games this week. And when you take a look ahead at the remaining schedule for Iowa State, after that, you get Texas Tech at home and then Kansas. At Lauren Field, at, at Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence on Saturday the fourteenth. Yeah, I think on the broadcast they said every single team in the Big Twelve is top fifty in the net. Like there aren't any easy games left. Yeah, no. I mean, even even um, our um, Big Twelve SEC Challenge game now, Mizzou has uh, turned themselves into a top twenty-five team. They're checking in at number twenty. So, and that's a road game as well. So we're not going to get any reprieve there. Um, in that one, uh, that one non-conference game. So, yeah, there's definitely, definitely a tough remaining schedule here for the Cyclones. But they're doing a great job, and I mean, this team has every opportunity to make the NCAA tournament. That this team, it should be the expectation at this point that this team makes the tournament, right? Do you guys disagree? I do not. I yeah, I don't. I think this will be a a low ranking like tournament team potentially, but yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. If they somehow didn't make it like this team. Don't get it wrong. If they have four or five bad bounces, I can see that record not being good enough for them to make it, but I think they have everything they need to potentially get in. Yeah. I mean, ac- according to the Bartovic, the, the Cyclones have a 70% chance to make the NCAA tournament, which probably seems maybe a little bit low, but otherwise about right. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see um, as the games go this week and what will keep you informed. Um, over on the women's side, they did get off to a bit of a slow start, but then pulled away from Texas Tech 81-58. to 58. Um, And that was a road game as well at Texas Tech. So um, good job for the Cyclone women there getting off to a 1-0 start in conference. Um, Ashley Jones had 22 points. Lexi Donaisky with 21 um, Soros and Ryan both had double doubles, um, including 16 rebounds for Stephanie Soros. Um, so that was a really good performance to see. And um, they managed to to win this game by 23, despite only going four of 26 from three. Um, we all know Bill Fenley likes to shoot the three, and that's what Bill Fenley's team does. So the fact that they were able to dominate Texas Tech this handily 
were shooting very poorly from three, bodes very, very well for this team. They're going to have to shoot better from three if they want to win um, key games and key situations, but the fact that they can win without it um, bodes very, very well. Yeah, 20, 25 for 27 from the free throw line, while Texas Tech is four for eight. Uh, definitely helps you out there. Yeah. And uh, upcoming for the Cyclone women, um, two um, good games this week. The first one will be on Wednesday, 6.30 at home against West Virginia. Um, that'll be on ESPN+. Plus. And then on Sunday, 2 o'clock on ESPN2 at number 17, Oklahoma, which should be a very, very fun, exciting game there. Keep an eye on that. And, of course, we will keep you informed next week on everything that happened with both Cyclone basketball teams. Yeah. There you have it. On from basketball to uh, week 17 in the NFL. And typically, remember, we've been talking about this being the end of the season in years past at the end of week 17, and but it is not. There is still one week to go and still a lot left to play for in this NFL season, including the number one seeds in both conferences, as well as a few uh uh, uh, final wild card spots available in both conferences as well. Uh, starting with the action from this week, my obviously we are excluding Monday Night Football at the time that we were recording this podcast. The one of the highest important games uh, in the NFL this season, according to Five Thirty Eight, uh, gives it a hundred. It scores it as a hundred on the importance scale. Uh, because there are huge implications on the number one overall seed and home field advantage in the AFC between the Bills and the Bengals. So that one should be a fun one on Monday Night Football uh, tonight as we record this episode. Uh, Elsewhere across the NFL, the Eagles really missed Jalen Hurts. Uh, Since Hurts' absence, they are now 0-2. They've dropped a couple of games. They could have secured that number one overall seed in the NFC but they have not done that just yet. Uh, there is still some some clinching scenarios. Uh, obviously, the Eagles can clinch it with a win versus the tie or win or a tie versus the Giants. The 49ers are the only other team that are realistically able to clinch that number one overall seed. They must win versus the Cardinals and the Eagles can must lose to the Giants, which is possible so something to watch out there for uh in the nfc with the philadelphia eagles purdy speaking of the 49ers purdy and the 49ers win a wild one in las vegas that uh all but canned the las vegas raiders playoff hopes it it did yeah they eliminated with that loss which crazy enough they were still in contention when they went and benched Derek carr going into this week of the season to start Jarrett Stidham. Now, had Derek Carr started, are we saying that the Raiders would have won and still been in contention for the final playoff spot in the AFC? No, we're not saying that. But it was an interesting development with the Raiders organization. Obviously, Derek Carr will probably be on the move this offseason and look for the the Raiders who have a different sort of starting quarterback other than Jarrett Stidham going into next season. Purdy gets another win. What is that? 4-0 now as a starter uh, in the NFL. So uh, shout out to Matt Campbell and Jamie Pollard, who are both in attendance at that game this weekend to watch him play. The Commanders needed to win this game or this week in order to keep their playoff hopes alive. They uh, proceed to lose at home to the Cleveland Browns, who are already way out of the uh, playoff hunt. And um, Coach Ron Rivera on the podium didn't even realize that they were uh, pretty much out, If especially if the Packers won. So, Commanders, uh, it was interesting that they went with Carson Wentz. A lot of interesting quarterback decisions this week, but they went with Carson Wentz, and it did not pan out uh, in their favor this week. So, getting into the playoff scenarios, in the AFC first, we'll talk about the teams that are in. The Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, the Ravens, and the Chargers are all in. 
Now the Ravens still have a chance to clinch or to win that division if the Bengals lose to the Bills. Now, if the Bengals beat the Bills, then the Bengals are going to be the winners of the AFC North. And then that allows for the Chiefs to be in the driver's seat for the number one overall seed. If the Bills win on Monday Night Football, they all but virtually lock up that number one overall seed. And that could play into some of the rest of the scenarios coming out of next week. The Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars week 18 game win and you're in. It is simple as that. Uh, Tennessee is still going to be without Ryan Tannehill, who is on IR. Um, Don't know who's going to start there, but Romeo Dobbs came in and played okay against the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday Night Football in Week 17. We'll see if that's who they roll with for the Week 18 game. But it is at home for Jacksonville. Basically winning you're in. Jacksonville still theoretically can make the playoffs, even if they lose. So the scenarios go are as follows. The number, number seven seed wild card. Jaguars can win or get the seven seed with a loss to the Titans and losses by the Dolphins, Patriots, and Steelers. That would be the Jaguars are in the playoffs. Steelers can clinch that last spot with a win versus the Browns and a Dolphins loss versus the Jets and a Patriots loss at the Bills. Uh, The Dolphins can clinch with a win versus the Jets and a Patriots loss to the Bills. The Patriots can clinch that seven seed with a win at the Dolphins or the Dolphins loss to the Jets and the Steelers loss to the Browns. So four teams all in contention for that final overall wild card seed, but realistically three because the Jaguars should just go and win that game to lock up their division and get the number four seed over in the NFC. It's a little bit more straightforward Packers, were down and out it seemed like a couple weeks ago they have the best odds at making the playoffs uh out of the the three teams who are all in contention the packers you just need to win and you're in if they beat the lions the lions can clinch with a win at the packers and a seahawks loss or tie versus the rams And then the Seahawks can clinch that final spot with a win versus the Rams and a Packers loss or tie versus the Lions. So a lot of scenarios. Some teams need a lot of help. Some teams really control their destiny. So it's shaping up for an interesting week 18 in the NFL. Uh, The NFL has actually announced a schedule change going into the week. Originally, all of the games were slated to be played on Sunday, but... They have flexed the Chiefs and Raiders game from Sunday to 3.30 on Saturday. So that game will be played Saturday, January 7th at 3.30 on ESPN. And then the Titans and the Jaguars game, the game that holds a lot of significance for for the playoffs in the AFC, that game will be at 7.15 on ESPN as well. So those games have been flexed a day early. All other games that week will finish up at 12 p.m. on Sunday. Assume there's going to be some 325 games in there, right? I would think that they're going to flex them. I think the NFL has the ability to to flex them back. I think there could also be one Sunday night football game, too. There will be a Sunday night football game as well, yes. All the other game times are still TBD. Basically, every game... They didn't assign game times for week 18 at the start of the year. So they're still dividing them up right now. ESPN got the first choice um, and took those. Well, maybe not the first choice because they probably would have taken Packers-Lions as well. But um, at least got some choice and, and took those two games. The rest will get um, divided up based on opponent. And they'll also want to keep games that could affect each other at the same time generally. Um for example, the Seahawks, Packers, and Lions will probably all play at the same time um, to avoid, hopefully avoid having a situation we had last year where both teams know if they tie, they both make the playoffs, which they didn't take advantage of last year anyway. But, you no, know, they didn't. They should have. So, so, th- so there you have it. There's, it's shaping up for a very exciting week 18 in the NFL. 
Yeah. Sorry to the Vikings though this week who got dismantled by the Packers. They did, but if I if I they were gonna lay an egg sometime this season, I would rather have been one of the last two weeks than in the playoffs. Are the Minnesota Vikings gonna be the first team in NFL history to win like thirteen games on the season and have a negative point differential? They currently are, have the worst point differential ever by a team with uh, 13 wins, and it's not close. It's by about 15 points or 50 points. Yeah. So yeah. I always, this is the, one of the worst weeks of the season because we just get, uh, you know, headline after headline of how people are breaking records and, you know, they have one more game than everybody else. So it's not that surprising to me. So I do appreciate Justin Jefferson just taking the week off so we don't have to worry about that extra game. And, barely did anything that game he's like their whole team he did not have a good game that that is for sure it did not help that tj hawkinson dropped a bunch of passes early in the game that could have uh changed it anyway a lot went wrong a lot went wrong for the vikings in that game they had their um the the their center for most of the game had uh never um been a center before in his nfl career there were at least four instances where he just didn't snap the ball and everybody else moved. Um, that's that's, that's good. not good. That's not great. For the you, you, as the third string center, you got two jobs: snap the ball and don't get absolutely run over. You don't have to be great; just snap the ball and don't get absolutely run over. And hopefully, you snap the ball to a to a relatively repeatable area. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. But Patrick Mahomes did have to get over 5,000 yards this season. He was, it was the second time he's ever done it in his career, but he made sure that he got that done by game 16 of the season so that people didn't say, oh, he got over 5,000 yards passing because he had an extra game. Yeah. Talent. So, there you go. That is, that is a good thing. Thank you for filling us in on everything in the NFL this week, Kyle. We'll look forward to your Week 18 breakdown, and um, we'll do our playoff predictions next week as well, I think, right? Yeah, we'll definitely have to do that because then we'll have the final playoff bracket. We will know the playoff bracket by that time, yes. All right. So... For Mike Stupid Rules this week, we're going to actually go to basketball. We're going to talk about a play that I saw in the Minnesota-Chicago State game from about a week and a half ago. Um, One of Minnesota's players was behind the arc, and he was getting ready to throw a lob to uh, to, um, a streaking guy down the field. Now, a defender um, went in and and, uh, and, uh, actually deflected that ball but he deflected the ball right into the hoop. Now, can you guys tell me, um, is this a two-point basket or a three-point basket? The, the, the offensive player was behind the arc when he let go of the ball, but the defensive player was inside the arc when it was deflected. Is this a two-point basket or a three-point basket? My money is like on two should be It should be a three, I think. Ariane says two. Wyatt says three. I'm going to break the tie and say it's a three. It is a two-point basket. There's no rule rule against the defensive player scoring a basket on his own goal. Correct. It it is from where the ball was last touched. It doesn't matter who touched the ball last. It just matters where the ball was touched last. Because the defender was inside the arc when when he touched the ball, it is a two-point basket, despite it being a three when it left the offensive player's hand. I was just thinking of a reason why you would have that and imagine having a double agent right that takes the ball <laughs> runs it down the court and and dunks it right if if kyle and i were were the right here essentially we're saying it's where the offense last touched the ball and in this scenario that would be a three-point dunk right or or if we think about a scenario where you know the offense tries to throw a full court pass and throws it out of bounds and then the other team just gets really confused and inbounds the ball and lays it up, right? That would technically be a three-two. Yeah, it would. But yes, it is. It is a two-point basket. Last time the ball was touched, regardless of who touched it. I actually did not know for sure. I had to go look up that rule um, after I saw that play because I did not know for sure how it would be scored. So there you go. But the, the last offensive play to touch the ball does get credit for the points. 
Um, it's just worth only two points. So, so then the fun part is that player got credited for a uh, what? I wonder. I wonder how they wrote that down in the book. Like, I assume he did gets they amazing. put the distance from the last touch. I would like for them to put the distance for a three pointer, but then put it for two points. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, presumably it's, it counts as a two point field goal made for that player. Yeah. Right. So anyway, yeah, it does get complicated. But the most important Shot as far as official scoring. Yes, it gets complicated for official scoring, but um, most importantly, it is only worth two points, and in the end, that's really all that matters. So there you have it. Any questions about that? Any other interesting theories? Mm -mm. Hearing none, that is your basketball rule this week in Mike's Stupid Rules. Moving right along to our accountability session for our Write That Down predictions. As the NFL season is winding down, we're going to have a lot of predictions that come off the board here. Um, so we'll have a little bit longer accountability session. Here we go. Wyatt, a long time ago, predicted that Antonio Brown would fight Jake Paul by the end of 2022. Um, the new year has come around. I don't think that ever happened. Did it, Wyatt? I don't think that it did, no. Okay. I, I, didn't I hear never about heard it. about that. <laughs> We're, we're I'm sure assume, we would have talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we're going to assume that never happened. So, nah. Nah. Ariane also predicted the Bears and Lions will end the season with the same or better combined record than the Vikings and Packers. It is quite possible that the Vikings themselves will have a better combined record than the Lions and Bears um, at the end of the year. So, this is definitely not true. So, nah. 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 Um, Kyle, this is something we could have taken off the board last time, but I needed to, to check something. Um, Kyle predicted that he would end up on the wrong side of luck by having being top three in points for and top three in points against in our fantasy football league. And he did do that. Um, so sorry, but also ding, 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 ding. Um, I'm going to win the Fantasy Football League, by the way. I know you're all very, very concerned and wanting to do that. So, also, in, in, in let, yeah. unless Zach gets a miracle on Monday Night Football tonight, I, I'm going to win the Fantasy Football League. Who does? So. What does he need? Uh, Devin Singletary and T. Higgins to score... It's like 62 40, or something. 40, yeah, 63 points to clear you. Um, let's see. 70, 66, 76. Yeah, 62. 62 won't do it. 66. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 66 to clear. Yeah, those two players need 66 to, to beat me. So I like my chances. Technically, they only need 65.8, but. But you could have a uh, Joe Mixon style fifty-five point game. It's possible. It is, yeah, it is possible, but highly unlikely. Or whatever Mike Evans did this week. That was only forty-eight. Yeah, but he has two people. That's true. That is true. Um, next, Kyle, you did predict the Vikings would get a three seed or better. Um, they will get a three seed or better. Still, could get the two. It's likely the three. Um, but either way, that's a three seed or better. So ding, 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 ding. ding. Arian, um, you just didn't have a great week of predictions uh, here. You predicted, you predicted that LeBron would break the all-time scoring record before the new year. You said he's still like a couple hundred points off, right? He's like 520 points away, I think. Yeah, so uh, nah. Nah, nah. Uh, you also believe the Bears would have more wins than the Packers this year. I could have taken this off the board quite a while ago, but I didn't. Um, anyway, you get a... Nah. Uh, Kyle, in what was a very good week of right there, predictions for you, you also believe the Bucks would win the division and have a record of 9-8 and eight or 8-9. Eight and nine. They clinched the division and have an 8-8 eight and eight record. So, I mean, I guess technically I shouldn't take this off the board. They could tie. Right? Oh yeah, they could. All right, I, yeah, I, I, this, this this is premature. I apologize for putting that on there. Now. That is that is premature. So stupid. They if they tie, I'm going to handwrite a letter to the Bucks organization. <laughs> they could tie. All right, I took that one back off the board. So I was premature on that one. I don't know what noise to make for that. Eh. <laughs> 
like the Tim Allen home improvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one um, was another bad one from Ariane. He said, um, this was two weeks ago on Monday, said that Baker Mayfield would become 2-0 and um, that night with the Rams. I believe they got absolutely obliterated in that game. Yeah, they, yeah, uh, they got so, ran out of Lambeau. Yeah, so Ariane gets a nah. Nah. There you go. That is our accountability session. We'll have lots more next week um, after the end of the regular season, I'm sure. Um, but for now, I will start putting things back up on the board, and I am going to predict that the Bucks win their first playoff game. Um, it is likely against the Dallas Cowboys, but it could still be against the Philadelphia Eagles. What did we give me for predicting the opposite? That the cow that they would lose their first playoff game. Yeah. Um, you did. You predicted the Cowboys would lose their first playoff game, not the Bucks. Oh. Oh, the Bucks. Well, so that's the same prediction. Yeah. It's <laughs> mo- most likely the same prediction, but the Cowboys still have a 6% chance to win their division, in which case the Bucks would play the Eagles. Is this just a double? Yeah, probably. I, I guess. Sure. I'll say double. Double it is. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? I'm I'm pretty sure he is still alive, but uh, since we're recording this a little bit of an odd time because of the holiday, he has not looked at my message yet. So we will not give him a strikeout because he hasn't looked at my message yet. Um, so we'll just leave it blank for him. Sounds good. I'm on the Brock Purdy hype train again, and I'm going to say he's going to start for the 49ers in the first game of next season. Ooh. This is an interesting prediction. I, like that. I don't know what to give that, that for sure. That is very interesting. There are a lot of moving parts that could happen in San Francisco this offseason. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Triple. That, yeah, I think triple seems reasonable. If he's at home run, I wouldn't have fought you, though. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel I like said, home run. I was going to say home run. I, I don't know. He literally doesn't have a clear path to it. Nah. It's I called mean, Jimmy, just Jimmy, working it in the playoffs. Like, if he just wins, you just give it back to Trey Lance. Hasn't proven Jimmy, anything. Jimmy G just won, and he lost the job. That's true. This was kind of an odd situation, but you're right. I'm on a home run here. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm overruled. You guys both said triple. You can always change your vote before it gets yeah. written down. I'm, I'm thinking uh, it's real. It's real close to me. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo won't be around. Jimmy Garoppolo no. will not be there, but Trey Lance will be, and he's a and first Tom round. Brady draft could be. Yeah, maybe. They're, gonna, they're not going to bring in Tom Brady. Yeah, they could. Weird. That is, there's a non-zero possibility of that. There's also a non-zero possibility of Jimmy Garoppolo being there, but it's not no, going to happen. No, it's he's, non-zero. He's not. Yeah, it's I non-zero. Mean, you're right. It's more likely for Tom Brady to go to the 49ers than Jimmy G. I'm going to stick with. I'm going to stick with the triple. He's going to light up the world all the way through the playoffs, and then they're going to try and ship off Trey Lance instead because they mean, can get I more draft compensation for him. Necessarily lighting up the world right now, but he's yeah, lighting up my world. He's winning. He's just lighting win. up the world for, you know, an undrafted rookie. He got drafted, Mr. Elvin. Er, sorry, you know drafted. what I mean. <laughs> Basically undrafted. Almost undrafted, Mr. Irrelevant. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with it. All right, Mike, what do you got? What are you I'm, saying? I'm sticking with triple. All right. I'll take I've a triple without complaint. Sorry, Wyatt, I fought no, for you. It's all good. I think it should be a home run, but I'll, I'll take a triple without complaint. What do you have all to right. write down, Kyle? This is going to be easier for you. Everyone just go look at 538 NFL. The Lions beat the Packers this week. Aaron Rodgers gets to cry his sorry little butt back to his ayahuasca <laughs> fantasy land. <laughs> uh, ESPN's FPI has the Packers at a 66.4% chance of winning. So basically two-thirds. Yeah, 538 uh, has... Got to scroll down to find it. 
has the Pags with a 61% chance to win. So slightly worse, but about the same. So single, double, probably double. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Double it is. What do you got, Aran? I am going to continue my season-long trend of being a hater, and I'm going to say that the Vikings do not win a playoff game this year. So the Vikings are highly likely to have their first playoff game at home against the Giants, for what it's worth, this year. That's a rematch, right? Yes, they beat the Giants just uh, last week. In week 16, I believe. Walk-off field goal. Yes. As they like to do. Aren't the Giants one of like the luckiest teams right now in the NFL? Yeah, number one, I think. Either them I, or the Jets. Yeah, I don't know how it's updated um, after this week's games, but yes, they were one of the luckiest. For what it's worth, 538 at the time gave the Vikings a 71% chance to beat the Giants. But they're only a what favorite over the Bears this week? One and a half, but there's a decent chance that the starters don't play. So, there's that. I mean, they'll probably win, is what we're saying. They'll be, I hope. I would think they would be pretty widely favored. So this is probably like a triple then. I'm thinking double, but... I was going to say double. I was going to say double, that's fine. I mean, yeah. Basically, he's predicting the Giants beat the Vikings, which they have about a 30% chance to do. Which we just gave out a double for, so... Oh, okay, so then double. I, I missed the uh, the percentage point there. Also yeah. double then, yeah. I'm in agreement. With three doubles and a triple, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311Cast, episode 205. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311Cast on both Instagram and Twitter. Signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts... Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!